0: Welcome to Alpha Coding Podcast, an all access pass to medical coding and billing pro tips that help you start your week off smarter. And now, here is your host, Tony L. Holmes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alpha Coding Podcast series. I am your host, Tony L. Holmes. Welcome to episode 52 of the podcast. Today is December 28th, and I hope everyone is enjoying their holiday season and staying safe. This is officially the last week of 2020, and we're off to a new year. So, I want to wish everyone listening a happy new year. And today, we're going to cover a topic that I get a ton of questions about. It comes up in my consulting practice on a daily basis, and that is incident to compliance. So, I'm going to give you some great pro tips about a topic that can be very challenging to healthcare organizations. So, before we dive into to our topic, it's time for your Monday dose of positivity, the Mindset Monday tip, and it's brought to you by Project Resume. When is the last time you had your resume updated? Your resume is literally your entry ticket to that next great opportunity. Project Resume will design a customized ATS-friendly resume to demonstrate your unique skills and experience. And even better, it's written by coders for coders. Make that investment in yourself today and visit projectresume.net and mention my code. Alpha Coding for Special Pricing. So our Mindset Monday tip is all about recognizing all good things take time. The quote I wanna share with you says, the day that you plant the seed is not the day that you eat the fruit. And I think it's an important reminder to all of us because we live in a world of instant gratification. I want this and I want it now. And this mentality is a recipe for disaster when it comes to long-term success and long-term relationships because anything good takes time and it has to cultivate. And sometimes you're in that season of harvest where everything that you're doing is really cultivating for the next season. That's when you're gonna see the fruit and actually be able to eat it and understand that all good things take time. So today we're gonna cover my top 10 pro tips for navigating incident two compliance. Incident two is a hot topic and I actually just worked on a compliance audit with an organization that was dealing with a Medicare Advantage plan and a pretty substantial recruitment request. And the biggest issues that were identified in this audit were Incident 2 compliance. And unfortunately, this organization did not comply with the Incident 2 regulations, and it's going to end up costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars to clean up. So I want to share some good takeaways and tips to help your organization comply with Incident 2 regulations. And this brings me to my pro tip number one, understand the application of Incident 2 rules. So CMS defines Incident 2 services as services or supplies furnished as an integral, although incidental, part of the physician's personal professional services in the course of diagnosis or treatment of an injury or illness. So incident two at its core is really about taking the physician's care plan and executing it under their direction, not making changes to that care plan because the care plan was established by the physician. And incident two is going to apply to physician extenders, sometimes referred to as mid-level providers. So these are going to be nurse practitioners, physician assistants, clinical nurse specialists. So essentially these providers are executing the care plan that was developed by the physician. It's not that these providers can't take care of patients on their own. It's that in order to qualify for incident two, these rules have to be met. So that's where I think it gets a little bit tricky and it can be a touchy subject for mid-level providers. So the service has to be part of a normal course of treatment to an established patient. So the emphasis here is on a an established patient and the physician has to be actively involved throughout their course of treatment. So new patients and new problems from established patients don't fall under incident two criteria. So when incident two does apply, the services are reported under the physician's NPI. When the services do not meet that incident two criteria, then they're reported under the non-physician provider's NPI. A couple of other things to note here. The non-physician practitioner must be employed by the practice. So there has to be an employment relationship. And I'm going to refer to non physician practitioners as NPPs throughout the episode. The NPP must be actively enrolled in Medicare. The patient must be an established patient to the physician. And in order to qualify under Incident 2 criteria, the NPP must follow the plan of treatment prescribed by the physician. Another important key here is that the physician must provide direct supervision. So all of these criteria have to be met in order for the encounter to qualify. Qualify under Incident Two. If the criteria for Incident Two is not met, then the services are reported under the NPP's NPI. Pro Tip Number Two: Know the different types of supervision guidelines. So, there's general supervision, which is under the physician's overall direction. So, this is really common in public health departments and immunization clinics, places where you have a medical director that doesn't physically see patients but has written protocols and standard operating procedures that allow staff to function. More independently under general supervision of the physician. And then you have direct supervision, which is what incident two requires, and that is the physician has to be physically present in the office suite and immediately available to jump in in case the MPP needs assistance. Now this has changed a little bit with the public health emergency and how this applies in a virtual setting, but in the traditional office setting, this rule still applies. And then you have personal supervision. So this requires the physician to be in direct attendance during the encounter. So this is going to be for things that require a physician to be personally present while the NPP is administering the procedure or service. So three different categories of supervision guidelines, and you want to make sure that you understand how these apply to different services. Pro tip number three, state law dictates provider scope of practice rights. So for NPPs, each state is different in terms of how providers can practice and how much supervision they require. So for example, in states like Colorado and Wyoming, nurse practitioners can open their own practice and they can practice completely independent of a physician after they've met a certain number of supervision hours under the direction of a physician. Some states do not allow nurse practitioners to practice independently. So state law ultimately dictates what the scope of practice rights are for the provider. So where it gets really tricky is when you have providers seeing patients in other states because the laws are so different. So states have a lot of power over not only provider licensing, but their scope of practice rights in that state. And keep in mind, providers can be licensed in multiple states, or they can also be a part of what's called a compact Pro tip number four, understand the financial incentives related to Incident 2. So the biggest reason why providers want to take advantage of Incident 2 is because it allows the physician to expand their bandwidth. So they're able to see and treat patients while their extenders are working Incident 2 their supervision. So this allows providers to manage more patients, and it also allows providers to collect 100% of the Medicare allowable instead of a 15% reduction when services are billed under the NPP. So if services are reported under the MPP's MPI, then Medicare will automatically assess a 15% reduction. So right off the top, you're getting 15% less, which is why providers like to leverage Incident 2 because it allows them to not only manage more patients, but collect at a higher rate. Pro tip number five, provider credentialing must be set up correctly from the beginning. So I think a lot of folks in the industry don't understand how imperative provider credentialing is and how easy it is to mess it up and then it has systemic consequences for the organization. I would say 95% of the time when I'm working on a compliance audit, I identify issues with provider credentialing. So specifically for incident two compliance, you want to make sure that all of your providers are enrolled with Medicare. So your extenders, your mid-level providers have to be set up with Medicare. And then you wanna make sure that your physician's credentialing is also set up correctly. They have the appropriate taxonomy designation, the taxonomy codes. I can't tell you how many times I have worked with organizations on consulting projects or compliance audits, and they tell me that they bill all of their services incident to, and that they haven't bothered to credential their mid-level providers because everything that they do is incident to. Yeah. Right. That is absolutely impossible. There is no way that every single patient that walks through the door has an established problem that's being treated by a mid level provider. There's absolutely no way. Patients have new things that come up all the time. So it's literally impossible for every single patient to fit the criteria of incident two, which is why this becomes a huge red flag in an audit scenario. So you have to make sure that all of your providers are enrolled with Medicare and that the credentialing is good to go. Pro tip number six new patients can never be reported under Incident 2. So it's not that the provider can't treat the patient or the patient's problems because the physician has not established the plan of care and that is a requirement for Incident 2. Another common misconception that comes up a lot when I'm talking to providers about Incident 2 compliance is, oh, I just drop in and I see the patient with my nurse practitioner or my PA and then I document in the note, I have reviewed the PA's note, examined the patient, and agree with the care plan, or the nurse practitioner performed the history and physical, I was present for the entire encounter, and my treatment plan is as follows. This will not fly under incident two compliance because the physician must perform the initial service. So that includes the history, the physical exam, and establishing the treatment plan. So the physician has to perform the initial visit on each new patient to establish the physician-patient relationship. Pro tip number seven, incident two rules do not apply in the hospital. So another common misconception, I hear is that physicians are going to allow their NPPs to see providers incident to them in the hospital. The concept does not exist in the hospital. Instead, it's referred to as split shared services. So split shared services is essentially taking the physician's documentation and the NPPs documentation and combining it so long as the physician personally saw the patient, personally performed an element of the evaluation and management service, and that the physician document that they personally saw the patient, on that day and document the element of the e service that they performed and sign off on it. This concept is referred to as split shared services, but it cannot be transferred to the office setting. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. So you want to make sure not to confuse incident two compliance with split shared services because they're two different rules that apply in two different settings. Project number eight. Payer policies tend to vary on incident two. So incident two is traditionally a Medicare rule and every payer has a different interpretation of incident two. So some payers follow Medicare's guidelines, some payers have their own guidelines, some payers don't even recognize the concept altogether. And then keep in mind, Medicaid programs are administered by the state. So Medicaid's regulation for coverage of physician services is different than Medicare's rules. So you definitely wanna check your state Medicaid rules on Incident 2 compliance Pro tip number nine, know how to audit for Incident 2 compliance. So if you're working in an organization as a coding professional, chances are you're going to have to deal with Incident 2 at some point in your career. So not only do we have the direct supervision requirement, which requires the physician to be immediately available and present in the office suite while the NPPs are seeing patients incident to the physician, we have to make sure that the patient is not a new patient or that the established patient did not have a new problem that was addressed in that encounter counter. Another thing that commonly comes up in the compliance audit is the provider's schedules. So they're going to request the supervising physician's schedule to verify that they were physically present in the office during the same time periods that the patients were being seen by the NPP and also the NPP schedules. And then they could also evaluate the ratio of supervising physicians to NPP providers and if it is an appropriate ratio. And then I've also seen audits that request the contract between the NPP, and the physician to determine the employment relationship. So, there are a lot of boxes that have to be checked in order to meet that Incident 2 criteria. Pro tip number 10 the Incident 2 rules are antiquated and desperately need reform. So, much like the evaluation and management guidelines, thankfully, we're seeing an update with 2021 guidelines, but we need to see updates to Incident 2 as well. There have been a lot of lobbying efforts from MedPAC and the AMA and other organizations to try to push for reform. Because these rules are outdated, they're antiquated, they were put in place a long time ago, the rules are not consistent with how medicine is practiced today. As we all know, there is a major shortage in primary care physicians, and with the aging population, the baby boomers, needing access to internal medicine and primary care, and we're gonna need to figure out how to leverage providers in the most effective way. So, if we can have our physicians taking care of our very, very sick patients and having our physician extenders deal with some of the lower acuity things, that's going to help with ensuring we have enough access to care and proper resources. And with the shift to more proactive value-based care and care coordination and really the team-based medicine approach, we're going to have to see major reform with rules like Incident 2 to adapt to this new era of medicine. It's also created a lot of tension with doctors and other healthcare provider types like nurse practitioners and PAs. It's almost like it pits them against each other when really it should bring them together in that collaborative team approach. So we desperately need to see some reform and updates to Incident 2. 2 rules. So grab a pen and paper to summarize my top 10 pro tips for navigating Incident 2 compliance. Number one, understand the application of Incident 2 rules. Number two, know the different types of supervision guidelines. Number three, state laws dictate provider scope of practice rights. Number four, understand the financial incentives related to incident two. Number five, provider credentialing must be set up correctly from the beginning. Number six, new patients can never be reported under incident two. Number seven, incident two rules do not apply in the hospital setting. Number eight, payer policies tend to vary on incident two. Number nine, know how to audit for incident two compliance. Number ten, The Incident 2 rules are antiquated and desperately need reform. So it's time for this week's coding pro tip and it's brought to you by Renowned Talent. Does your organization need access to competent and qualified HIM and IT talent? If so, you're in luck. Renowned Talent can assist your organization with recruitment and staffing and each recruited hire you bring on board comes with a 90-day new hire guarantee. Renowned Talent is all about hiring for retention and not just job placement. Visit RenownedTalent.com and let them know Alpha Coding Experts sent you. If you have a coding-related question and would like it to be featured in one of our coding pro tips, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. So this week's coding pro tip comes to us from Florida. Hi, Tony. You mentioned several months ago on your podcast that learning risk adjustment coding is a great idea. Do you still think this is true? My background is primarily in ED facility coding, but I'm not working and I'm wanting to transition into risk adjustment. What are your thoughts? So I definitely think that my advice still remains true. The CRC, which is the Certified Risk Adjustment Coder Credential, is one of the best investments you can make. With the industry continuing to shift from fee-for-service to value-based care, risk adjustment is going to explode. And the demand for risk adjustment coding expertise is continuing to rise. I see job postings from companies like Optum and Weller Healthcare, and they're hiring hundreds of HCC and risk adjustment coders at a time for these risk adjustment coding projects. So I think it's an excellent investment and a great way to pivot from ED facility coding into risk adjustment coding. Please remember to hit that subscribe button now so you never miss another episode. Also, be sure to drop us a rating and review on iTunes. We really appreciate your support. So this concludes today's episode. Until next week, thank you for listening to the Alpha Coding Podcast. We'll see you next Monday. For more information about medical coding and billing pro tips, including how to hire Alpha Coding Experts, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at www.alphacodingexperts.com.